When we talk about stewardship, there's one parable that just leaps forward. It's not one of Jesus' more famous parables, like the Good Samaritan or the Prodigal Son. Those are the ones we think of. But it may be Jesus' most powerful and most important parable when it comes to answering the question, how should we then live? It's the parable, we call it the parable of the talents because of the King James translation of uh, the, the talents. It's actually the parable of the stewards. The parable of the stewards. It's found in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. And uh, don't have time to read it. I'm going to tell it to you. It's about a guy who was going on a journey. Very wealthy man. And he was going on a journey. And uh, he called three of his stewards. Three of, says three of his servants. But these guys were particularly important servants. They at the time were called stewards. Because he handed over his money to them to invest for him so that he could make more money. And then Jesus said, after a long time, the guy came back home, as guys typically do. And when he came home, he called in these three stewards. And the first steward, he gave five bags of money. And, and, and now, remember, this is a parable. Jesus is making this up. This didn't actually happen. And the reason Jesus used parables is he could make them up. And he could put the emphasis on the right syllable and, and, and emphasize the things that he wanted to emphasize. And what he did here is, is, is an outrageous amount of money that he gave this first. Five bags of, of gold, it's translated, as five uh, denarii, but it, it's an enormous amount of money. And when he came back, he called that guy in and said, hey, how'd you do? The guy said, man. I rocked. You're going to be so proud of me. You know, the five bags, I doubled it. And here's your money back. And the guy says, wow, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's go celebrate. Then he gave two bags to the second steward before he left. And when he came back, he called the second steward in. And he said, how'd you do? And he said, great, great. You only gave me two, but here's four. I doubled it just like my pal. I doubled it. He said, way to go, man. That's terrific. Let's go celebrate. Congratulations. Well done, good and faithful servant. And the third guy came in. He said, well, how'd you do? And he said, well, I, I, I did the safe thing. Those other guys, you know, they could have lost all that money. I buried your money. And here it is back. I'm giving you back just what you trusted me with. The master said, you wicked, lazy slave. You didn't function as a steward. You didn't understand the picture. You were supposed to work with that money. You were supposed to use that money, my money, to make me more money. You're in some deep yogurt, Bubba. You screwed up. End of story. Lord, bless us as we go home. No, 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 no. I'm not going to let you go yet. See, Jesus told stories for a reason. I kind of sneaked up on you. I just told you the parable. But the parable by itself is just a story unless you put it in its context. Jesus told this story the way he told it, with the details he included, 
for a very specific reason. And the reason is introduced back in chapter 23, verse uh, uh, 60, wherever it is there, verse 23, uh, 39. Jesus had been, chapter 23 is Jesus' rant against the Pharisees and the scribes. They had been challenging him, doubting him, trying to humiliate him with these difficult questions, and he answered all, of his diff- all their difficult questions. And then he pointed out just what they were, hypocrites, bad leaders, unfaithful to God, anything but stewards. And he ended that speech by saying, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, his followers understood that language because previously he had talked about the fact, I'm going away, but I'm coming back again. I'm going to go away. They're going to kill me. I'm going to rise from the grave. I'm going away, and I will come back. So when he said this to these Pharisees, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they were reminded that Jesus is going away. So uh, after he left the temple, he went over to the Mount of Olives, just, just outside Jerusalem. And Matthew tells us, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And when will be the, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Okay, you're going away. When are you coming back? Now, Jesus' answer in Matthew's gospel takes 63 verses. It's a long response. But over those 63 verses, he never answered their question. He said, I'm not going to answer that question because it's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. Now, Floyd introduced us to the word eschatological last week. Eschatology. Eschatos is the end, the end times. This is an eschatological question. When will Jesus come back? And Matthew 24 and 25 are, is called the Olivet Discourse, which is Jesus' greatest teaching on eschatology. It's Jesus' eschatological message about his coming back. But he didn't answer the question they asked him. In fact, what he said was, if you follow down through Matthew 24, but about that day or hour, no one knows. You ask me when I'm coming back? Here's part of my answer. About that day or hour, no one knows. Verse 45, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. Verse 44, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Chapter 25, verse uh, 13, therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. The reason I'm not asking you, answering your question is it's the wrong question. Well, then what is the right question? Jesus said, I'm going to sneak up on that one. I have to prepare you for the answer to that question. And the answer to that question is found in this parable that we just talked about. There are four characters in the parable. Now, once again, I'm teaching you a little bit how to read parables. When you read the parable, look at its context, because usually the characters in the parable represent people in the context. And these four people in this parable represent characters. The man who went away on a journey, you probably now have guessed about that, is Jesus. 
they asked him, Lord, you're going away. When are you coming back? He said, let me tell you a story about another guy who went away and came back. The three stewards in the parable are us, the disciples, his followers. And the story goes, Jesus said, when I go away, I'm going to entrust you with resources, time, talent, money. I want to entrust that to you. And someday I'm coming back, but I ain't telling you when. Because you'll be like my college students. You'll cruise and cram. The two holiest weeks on a Christian campus are finals week. Everybody's praying. Everybody's late night watch. They're cramming. Been there, done that, right? A lot of you are laughing. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Well, Jesus said, that's not how I want you to live your life. If you knew when I was coming back, you'd cruise and cram. That's why he said, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, three principles grow out of this particular parable. The first is the principle of ownership, something that Jesus stressed very carefully here, that when this Man went away on his journey. He didn't give his stewards anything. Listen to how he talked about it. Verse 14, chapter 25. uh, Verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his stewards and entrusted his wealth to them. Look at verse 18. The man who had received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money in it. Verse 27, Jesus, uh, the man's response to the unfaithful steward. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would receive it, I would receive it back with interest. This guy and Jesus was emphasizing, I am not giving you time, talent, and money. I'm entrusting you with time and talent and money. It's my time. It's my talent. It's my money. And I'm trusting you to be good stewards And when I come back, I will ask, what did you do with my money, with my time, with the talent I placed in your care? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, you are not your own. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. I don't even own me. (laughs) It all belongs to him. The principle of ownership 
the principle of ownership. It was his wealth, he entrusted it to his stewards. The principle of ownership says, because God owns it all, I never have to justify what I give. But I always have to justify what I keep. I never have to justify what I keep, what I spend on ministry, but I always have to justify what I spend on myself. I don't even own me. The second principle is the principle of stewardship. Most of us don't uh, understand stewardship. If I can quote Floyd again from last week, very good job there, bud. Jesus said, stewardship always follows discipleship. You can't be a steward until you are a disciple. And so the first commitment we make is not to be a steward, but to be a disciple, a total, 100% complete follower of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in Luke 14, you cannot, you will not be able to be my disciple unless you give up everything. It's the first step. I am not an owner, I am a steward. Verse 15 says that this man gave five bags of gold to one, he gave two bags of gold to another, gave one bag to another, according, each according to his ability. Each according to his ability. Now we don't all have the same resources, or the same resources in the same amount. Now I, I, I do this. I mean, if I had to do what Tom did, you'd all walk out of here at first song. <laughs> I don't have Kathy's compassion. I'm kind of compassionate. You know, I say, guy comes with a drinking problem, I say, stop drinking. What's the issue? <laughs> Kathy, she gets down and prays with them, loves on them. Much better than I do. So if you've got a problem, call Kathy. Got a compliment, call me. He didn't call me to do what Kathy does. He didn't call me to do what Sarah does. I can't do that stuff. I can't even balance my checkbook. He gave me something to do. My responsibility is to do that to the best of my ability. Notice what verses 16 and 17 say. I hope you have your Bibles. This is too good to miss. Verses 16 and 17. The man who had received five bags of money went out at once and put his money to work. <laughs> Don't you love that? He put the master's money to work. So also the one with two bags of gold put the master's money to work. God said, I, Jesus said, I'm giving you these talents. I'm giving you this time. I'm giving you this money so you can use it, so you can work with it. You're steward. You're expected to invest your life, invest your time, invest your talent, invest your money to make it work for me so that my kingdom is growing. People are getting stronger and more people are coming into the kingdom because of the work you're doing using the gifts, the talents that I gave to you. In verse 18, we see a contrast with these two men who put the money to work. In verse 18, it says, the one who had received one bag of gold went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And so I have to ask myself with the talents, the gift, the money, the time that God has given me, what am I doing with it? 
Do I even realize what it is? Do I ever even think about it? Do I ever pray, Lord, am I a responsible steward? Am I honoring you with my time? Am I honoring you with my money? Am I honoring you with this, this gift? I put a lot of hours into this morning, this thing that I'm doing right now. I worked at it. We've seen a lot of guys in seminary, in these courses we teach in seminary, with great gift, great gift, incredibly gifted people. But they're lazy. And they're lousy preachers because they're riding on their gift. These guys put the resource God placed in their hand to work. It's a life of love and labor. Jesus said, I'm not telling you when I'm coming back because I don't want you to cruise and cram. I want you to understand that I can come back at any moment. And I want to find you doing what I've given you to do when I come back. He entrusted them with his resources. Putting resources in my hands does not make me an owner. It makes me a steward. So the principle of stewardship and responsibility is my greatest fear. My greatest fear is not that I will fail to accomplish a great task. My greatest fear is that I will succeed at something God never intended for me to do. That I'll waste my life trying to be somebody God never intended me to be. That I will miss the point. That I will spend all my money on me. And miss the enormous privilege that many, many, many in this congregation, I'm looking at some, not directly right now, but I've, who have been such incredibly wonderful stewards with their money. That's why this place is here. What a thrill. What a thrill to write that check you really can't afford. To give up that vacation you really wanted to take. To send that money to a missionary who may be working in the place you were going to take a vacation to. To support that ministry. We're dropping it in here so we can support the ministries that God has given us to do. Third is the principle of accountability. It says, after a long time, the master came back and settled accounts. He came back and he called each one of these guys in. Called them in. It's just like finals week. Finals week is tough, but the week after for some students is really tough. They get the grade back. Why'd you give me a D? I don't give grades. I keep records. You earned a D. Or you earned an A. And when this man came back, he called the first guy and said, how'd you do? He says, five bags of gold. I earned five. Wow, way to go. Second guy, you gave me two. I earned two. Third guy, you gave me one. I buried it. Much different response. And what Jesus said is, I am coming back, and I will hold you accountable. What he said to the stewards who did the work, well done, good and faithful steward, faithful. 
Said that to both of them. Well done, good and faithful steward. You've been faithful with a little. I will give you more to be faithful with. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians that uh, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. When Jesus comes back, he's going to say, were you faithful to the task, to the privilege, to the honor I gave you of putting resources in your hand so that you could serve me in building this incredible kingdom of God? And then the principle of accountability, he nailed that one on verses 31 uh, of Matthew 25. When the Son of Man, now he's answering the question. He's responding to the question, not when, but he's closing the big eschatological question. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, I'm coming back, and just like the guy in the parable, when I come back, I will sit on my throne, and just like he called them in and said, how did you do? What did you do with the resources I placed in your hand? Some a lot, some not so much. He's not going to hold me accountable for your resources or you accountable for my resources. He's going to hold me accountable for my one bag of gold and you for your two bags of gold and some of you for your five bags of gold. The parable of accountability is the faithful steward doesn't ask when is the master coming back. The faithful steward asks, am I doing what pleases the master while he's away?